you would pray with me now and just pray this prayer in your heart silently, if you would. Just say, Jesus, speak to me today. Maybe you're here and this is a very dark time in your life and you're searching for hope. Maybe you're here you're searching for truth. Maybe you've just found yourself complacent. I want to invite you to invite Jesus to speak to you. Father, we thank you for this time today and we thank you that you love us, that you loved us so much that you came to this earth and you lived the life that we should have lived and you died the death we should have died. But in your infinite mercy and grace, you lived that life for us and you died that death for us that all who would believe and transfer their trust to what you have done for us on the cross as you conquered sin and death through your death, burial, and resurrection might know life and forgiveness. So we praise you and give you thanks this day. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, guess what book we're in today? Mark 15. We are going to finish it, Lord willing, next week. And so if you've not read that, I want to encourage you this week to read through Mark 15 and 16. Uh, matter of fact, you can just read through verses 1 through 8. I'll, I'll, I'll not make you read the second half of chapter 16 in Mark. And we can talk about that on another day. But I want to encourage you to just read through that each day this week, kind of preparing your heart uh, for Easter, for Resurrection Sunday. <clears throat> also, I want to ask you a, a favor. Uh, is if you possibly can, I want to ask you, this is going to sound really weird, I'm going to ask you not to come to church next week at 9.30 or 11, okay, unless you're bringing somebody. Uh, try not to come at 9.30 or 11 unless you're bringing. Now, if you're bringing people, then absolutely come. But we know these two services, matter of fact, this service will be our most packed service. Now, I know some of you like to sit with your cheek right next to somebody else's cheek like that. You people need to be here because you'll love it. Uh, but if you need a little space and if you want to help us out immensely, then I'll give you three other options. Four o'clock on Saturday. Uh, if you would consider that, we're going to have a fantastic baptism service that day, and that's going to be a really neat time uh, at 4 o'clock, uh, and I'll be preaching that service. So uh, if you'd like to come at 4 o'clock or at 5.30, Randy will be preaching that service, or at 8.15, okay, and we'll have breakfast beforehand. But if you could come to one of those three, that would really, really help us. And again, I know it won't be possible for everybody, uh, and some of you have already got plans. You've got family coming in. I get that. You've got neighbors you invited. By all means, come then. Uh, but if it's possible, if you possibly can, just for that next for next Sunday, come at four, five thirty, or four o'clock on Saturday. That would be the, the best time if you possibly could. Uh, but if not, five thirty or eight fifteen on Sunday morning. That would be a huge blessing. That's one way you can serve us next week, and you can serve the kingdom. So if you can do that next Sunday, that would be much appreciated. Uh, the title of the sermon this morning is piercing. The darkness at the cross, piercing the darkness at the cross. And, you know, our culture today, particularly uh, young people, when I say young people, people who are the, under the age of 26, we know that uh, the top grossing movies today are those that deal with the aspect of darkness. The whole vampire scene and the whole vampire vibe, that's huge in the movie theaters and in books today, books that are actually being purchased, okay? Um, number two are, are that of zombies. There is a complete 
fascination of, with our culture with darkness right now. And if that's not enough, if you read the paper, what, what papers, what magazines, what articles are being most read today, even online? Those that deal with the aspect of darkness, we see the murder, we see crime, we see uh, just horrendous acts, and our eyes are drawn there. And we want to immediately uh, read that article. We want to immediately uh, find out more. And we have a fascination with the darkness. That is, unless, of course, it's our own darkness. Then we don't want anybody to know about it. Uh, but if, we're, if we hear about somebody else who has... Uh, just done something horrible, we want to read about it. If we find out something horrible has happened to somebody, we want to read about it. We want to see it. We want to hear it. We want to know more about it. And as I said, in our you know, in the youth culture, in the student culture, there's a tremendous fascination with darkness. Now, my father was in the Navy, and back in 1954 and 55, uh, he was stationed at the Antarctica. And uh, he, uh, matter of fact, stayed there for about uh, six six months during the period of what they call the kind of the polar day, the polar light. And it was daylight the whole time he was there. <coughs> Excuse me, but he, as he was leaving, the polar night was beginning. And the polar night transpires from May till about August. And what will happen? There's a brief time in which it just light, lightly dims uh, to darkness. But by the by the end of May, it's completely dark and it's dark all the way till august and it's very very dark outside of the stars in the sky and nothing really lives there nothing really stays there during that time while my father's there he was there during the daylight time and the temperatures would go anywhere from minus 20 or 30 all the way up to 30 he said we even had a day one time where we hit 32 so that was like you know whoo whooping whooping hot out there and uh but he said in the night time when the polar night sets in the high will be minus 69, and it'll get as low as minus 120, okay? So we're talking about stinking cold. Now, if you want to be amazed, and I, maybe you're not into this kind of stuff, but I am totally fascinated. My dad tells us uh, about a guy named Shackleton he, that he kept up with, and there were a couple other people, but a guy named Ernest Shackleton. He led a polar exploration. He was going to be the first one to take a party of men from one side of Antarctica to the other side. Now, this, now the South Pole has already been, uh, so to speak, sort of discovered and landed upon, but no one had completely crossed it from one ocean to the next. So he takes 127 men on the Endurance, this ship, and uh, they, they sail down during what would be the summer there. It's the opposite of what it is here, during the light time. And, and they get there, but it's just uh, it's just really bad. And a lot of the whalers who were typically would have been heading that direction said, it's really bad, we wouldn't even go. But he had already spent the money, and he had the people, he'd been commissioned. It was World War I, he wasn't going to be able to go back. Uh, the World War I one had broke out while he was on in, in his journey. And so he decides to go on. And it's a really fascinating story, but he ends up, he gets stuck in ice, his ship gets crushed, and they end up being there for 422 days, which means that they go through that three to four month period of complete darkness. And, uh, you know, I told you how cold it was, but Shackleton said, he said, you know what the most difficult part for my men were? He said, was the darkness. The day in and the day out darkness, that it was always dark. It was almost so dark, I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. He said there were times it was that dark. And then the snow, he said, he said beyond the snow blindness, beyond the frostbite, beyond the cold temperature, beyond the starvation diet that we lived on, 
He said it was the darkness. Because so some people would literally start to go crazy because it was always dark. I want to show you and I want us to read about an experience that was even darker than the polar night. It was the darkness of the death of Christ. As we read Mark chapter 15, it's interesting that all four gospel writers go to great lengths for us to understand that everything that transpired uh, toward Christ's death, it all happened in the darkness. When Jesus is betrayed by Judas, it is in the darkness. When Jesus goes and he prays, in the garden of Gethsemane, he asked his friends, Peter, James, and John, to just stay awake one hour and pray with him. But they fall asleep. It's in the darkness. When Jesus is arrested, it's in the darkness. Now, darkness is always a metaphor in Scripture for spiritual darkness. When Jesus is tried, it's at night. It's an illegal trial because it's happening at nighttime in the darkness. When those who would have maybe stood up for Christ, were gone. And then we'll see here in this instance, at the death of Jesus, it's dark. It's very dark. Now, there are a few things that we can glean about the darkness that we can see. First of all, and Shackleton talked about this, when it's really that dark, it's almost impossible to know where you're going. When we're really, really in a dark environment, when we really can't see, it's really hard to know where we're going. So we've all bumped around at night in our house. But when we're in a place where we can't feel anything or see anything, you know, I've, 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 I've been a diver just a little bit, but I've never been down to where it's so deep that you can't see. And divers, when they go to those depths beyond 100 feet, when they get to 100, 150, 200 feet, and it's completely dark, they can become disoriented and not know which way is up, down, or to the side. And you know how they recognize which direction to go? The bubbles. They will literally feel the bubbles because the bubbles will always go up. In the darkness, it is so difficult for us to know where we're going when there is no light. We can't see ourselves properly. We can't see ourselves accurately. You know, I was wrestling my son yesterday, and I got all scratched up. You can't see it because it's a little dark out there. But um, as we were wrestling around, his fingertips got me. But, you know, I didn't see it uh, because we were wrestling around, and, and the lights were kind of down when we were wrestling. I didn't see it till later, and I had bled all over my pillow, okay? Because it was dark, and I didn't know, and he didn't see it. You can't see yourself accurately. When we're in sin, we can't see ourselves accurately. I've given you the one phrase that I've ever made up in my life, and it's that sin makes you stupid. And when darkness overtakes us, we can't see it. In the darkness, we can't see others accurately. We can't see if God is moving and working. We can't see what God is doing because it's dark. And in the darkness, we're just like Shackleton and his men. They were driven by survival and fear. He said, we didn't live. We just existed in the dark. Let's begin our passage here in Mark chapter 15, beginning with the first verse. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests had a meeting with the elders, scribes, and the whole Sanhedrin. And after tying Jesus up, they led him away and handed him over to Pilate. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, 
You have said it. Now, Pilate is a pagan, of course. He's a Roman governor is what the term we might use here today. And he is tremendously political and and self-centered. We know that from history. He is ruthless. And he has heard these claims that Jesus, the Messiah, the King of the Jews. And so when he comes before Pilate, after he's been arrested, he's been handed over by the Jewish council. He says, so are you the leader of these people? That's what he's saying. Are you the leader of the Jews? And Jesus simply says, it is as you say. Or in this translation, it says, that's what you're saying. And certainly he was ultimately the leader of all mankind. And the chief priest began to accuse him of many things. And then Pilate questioned him again and said, are you not answering anything? Now, the charge that they brought up, that the only one that will stick, is that he's claimed to be the king of the Jews. And we know there's only one leader, there's only one king, and that's Caesar. That's treason. That's insurrection. So that's why they're trying to pin this on Jesus, because they can't make anything else stick. And so they brought that to Pilate. And Pilate asked that question, and what's really remarkable is Jesus is not answering. He's silent. And in Roman law at that time, no answer was a verdict of guilty. It was an admission of guilt. So if you said nothing, you were thought to be guilty. It wasn't like our law today. But that's exactly what he was doing. And they said, look, how many things they are accusing you of. Pilate says to Jesus, but Jesus still did not answer anything. So Pilate was amazed. Pilate had never seen a man who was being accused of these things, who was being uh, placed in a position where he might be killed and crucified. And a man say nothing. Jesus simply lets it go. But we know who ultimately is in control. I think it's always amazing, if you stop and think about it, that Jesus is dying on this day, Passover, the day that the sacrificial lamb would be sacrificed. On that day of that year, at that exact time. You know what time the Passover lamb is crucified? Three o'clock. Who thinks really in control here? But they don't understand this. Pilate, who's a pagan, actually makes this profession not even realizing who he is. And then... And then the Bible says in verse 6, At the festival it was Pilate's custom to release for the people a prisoner they requested. There was one named Barabbas who was in prison with rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. Now Barabbas, as we call him, uh, had led an insurrection. And because of his insurrection, we know that some of the Jewish leaders, he had killed Jewish leaders and some Romans. And because of this, uh, there was great retribution uh, by Pilate and by the Roman government. They had put this insurrection down and many uh, people, innocent people were killed. Many were imprisoned. Uh, great sanctions were put upon. So the people suffered greatly because of Barabbas' actions. Now, something else is interesting. We've talked about this before, but maybe uh, some of you weren't here. You may not remember. But the word Barabbas, Bar, means son. Abbas means father. Barabbas means son of the father. Now, does anyone know what Jesus, uh, does anybody know, know what, excuse me, what Barabbas' first name was? Does anybody know? Just shout it out. Jesus. His name was Jesus, son of the father. 
Jesus, Yahshua, one who saves, son of the Father. Now, there were men and women who at the time would give their children these types of names, Yahshua, son of the Father, in hopes that they would militaristically lead their people into victory one day. And so they groomed them up, and so that's probably what Barabbas' father was thinking. You can be the one who leads us. But he wasn't thinking spiritually. He was simply thinking physically. And so he's tried and he's called great pain to his countrymen. So here they are. Jesus, the Christ. And Jesus, the Son of the Father. Jesus, Barabbas. And they're going to be asked to make a choice. Just as you and I are asked to make a choice today. Will you take the Jesus, the meek, the mild, the forgiving, the loving, the transcending Jesus Christ, the one claiming to be the Son of God, which we see in Mark chapter 1, by the way. We see the Bible starting off with Jesus, the Son of God. Is that in fact who He is? Or will you take the strong, the brazen, the militaristic, the hardened Barabbas, which one are you going to choose as your Savior? One who wants to be your Savior, one who wants to be your ruler. One who's going to be your Lord, one who's going to bring upon war and suffering. Which one will you choose? And there was one named Barabbas who was in prison, and rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them as the custom. And so Pilate answered them, Do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? Do you want me to release Jesus, the Christ? For he knew it was because of envy that the chief priest had handed him over. See, they had taken Jesus because many people were starting to follow and listen to Jesus. Jesus had cleansed the temple. Jesus had discredited him, and so they were jealous. And that's why they were bringing him, and Pilate knew this. For he knew it was out of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that they released Barabbas. And we know from the other gospel writers. And he said, who do you want? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus the Christ? They said, Barabbas! Barabbas, don't you know what he's already cost you? Don't you know that we're going to be watching him? And if we see the slightest, in just the slightest bit of rebellion, we will kill him and all those around you. And those of you who are cheering him, we will look for you. We will crucify masses. Give us Jesus, Barabbas. And so Pilate asked them again, then what do you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews? And again, it says they shouted because they've already shouted once. Crucify him. Crucify Yeshua, the Nazarene, the Christ. Crucify him. Then Pilate said, why? What has he done wrong? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. Then willing to gratify the crowd because it's Passover. There, Josephus tells us there are over two million Jews that are there to celebrate this time. He does not want a problem. And so politically, he makes the choice because he wants to quiet the crowd. Not because he's afraid, not because 
he thinks that Jesus is guilty, but because politically it's the right move at the moment. And then willing to gratify them, Pilate releases Barabbas. And after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him away into the courtyard and they called the whole company together. They dressed him in a purple robe, twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, hail, king of the Jews. They kept hitting him on the head with a reed and spitting on him, getting down on their knees. They were paying him homage. This is exactly the way that they would have responded to Caesar, to Augustus. This is the way that they would have responded, at least without the mocking part, as Caesar would have been dressed in his royal robe with his crown. This is the way Domitian, would have, they would have responded, and to Nero. But they mockingly respond to Jesus in that manner. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of purple robe and put his clothes on him and led him to crucify him. They forced a man coming in from the country who was passing by to carry Jesus' cross. He was Simon a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, what's interesting about this is um, it's, it's tradition, and some scholars even believe that uh, in Romans chapter 16, this is the one uh, that they're referring to. This is the Rufus that they're making a reference to, that Paul talks about. And then in Acts chapter 19, uh, there's a reference to an Alexander. Many scholars believe these gentlemen become believers after their father professes Christ. Simon, the one who will carry the cross for Jesus, the one who will see Jesus die and literally change his life. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. And then they crucified him. Incidentally, do you remember what was brought to Jesus at his birth? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh was used for a burial. It was also used sometimes medicinally or even uh, as a painkiller, so to speak. Then they crucified him and divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide who would get what, which, by the way, is, is prophetic. It was a prophecy. Now it was nine in the morning when they crucified him, and the description of the charge written against him was the king of the Jews. They crucified two criminals with him, one on his right, one on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, so the prophecy is fulfilled, and he was counted among the outlaws. The Bible continues, those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, Ha, ah, the one who would demolish the sanctuary and build it in three days. Save yourself by coming down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes were mocking him to one another and saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the, notice the choice of words, the Messiah, are they saying it mockingly? Absolutely. But even in their mouths, the truth still resonates. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him were taunting him. We know that one of the thieves, after initially taunting him, recognized there's something different about him. There's something different about his spirit. There's something different in a way that he's dying and he professes him. 
And Jesus grants him grace. And when it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. So it's noon. This should be the time of light, but darkness comes raining down. It is the darkest time in history. For God Himself is turning away. And the earth is beginning the process of darkness and chaos, just like it existed before God spoke light into existence in Genesis 1. And Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lima, lima sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's speaking scripture from Psalms chapter 22, 1. He's fulfilling prophecy. And from some of those standing by, they hear, look, he's calling for Elijah because Eloi, Eli are so similar at a distance. They think maybe he's calling for Elijah. And there were some who believed that if you were a righteous man and you were suffering, you could call for Elijah because Elijah never actually died as he was taken in a, a chariot of fire. And they believed that if you were truly righteous and suffering, you could call upon him. So some, there was a sect of Jews who believed that. But nevertheless, the Bible says, someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and fixed it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. But Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last breath. Now we know from the other gospel writers that Jesus says this. Jesus says, Father, into thy hands... I commit my spirit. And then he says, to telestai, which means it is finished. Now, this is remarkable because Jesus has been beaten to a pulp. He has been placed on a cross where he has constantly had to drag himself up to breathe back and forth and back and forth. And typically, right before a man would breathe his last few breaths, he would be suffocating and he would have no energy. He wouldn't even be able to to speak. Matter of fact, um, many of you are uh, familiar with uh, Hugo Chavez, who was the president slash dictator of Venezuela for a long time. And he died a couple of weeks ago. And he had always ruled Venezuela with a with an iron fist and was very ruthless and very strong, very powerful, made a lot of decrees, made a lot of threats nationally and internationally. But you know what his last words were? Don't let me die. Don't let me die. And by the time he died on March 5th, he couldn't even get out. He was barely getting out. He was, don't let me die. Don't let me die. You know why? Because all his energy was gone. There was no control. There was no power that he had. But Jesus, with his last breath, which for most men, they couldn't even speak by that point. He has one last word. He says this. It is finished. It's over. Victory. He shouts it out, and he dies. And then the curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from the top to the bottom. Now, what is this curtain that they're speaking of? We sang about it in a song earlier. Well, there were two curtains that actually existed, we know from scholars. There was a curtain that hung uh, initially for those that separated the Gentiles from the Jews where they could worship. So there was a huge canopy. And it had a picture, Josephus tells us, it has a huge picture of the heavens and of the earth. And then there was another curtain that existed between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. 
And the Holy of Holies was the place that only one time of year, the holiest man alive, or believed by the Jews anyway, the holiest high priest went into the holiest place of all after he had sacrificed a lamb. And after that blood had been applied to the altar, he would go in to where they believed to be the existence of the Shekinah glory, the presence of God dwelt. And that was only one time a year by one man each year in one place. And the Bible tells us that the curtain was torn, not from the bottom to the top, but from the top. And this is a massive curtain. It's thicker than that curtain. over. It's a massive 6 to 12 inch thick curtain. And it's torn from the top. Therefore signifying that there is access now into the spirit and the presence of God. The Bible says, And when the centurion who was standing opposite saw the way that he breathed his last breath, he said, This man really was God's son. I believe this to be, the, for me at least, the principal verse in chapter 15. You think about it for just a second. You've had Pilate who has uh, said, this is the king of the Jews, mockingly, so to speak. The Jewish leaders have mockingly called him the Messiah, the Savior. But then you have two others who watch him die, who hear his words, who see his power. You have the thief on the cross who at first insults him, but then recognizes there's something different. We are crying out in fear and in pain. For our existence, but he is in control. And he is dispensing forgiveness. He's saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. As they nail the nails through his hands and through his feet. He's dispensing forgiveness to that centurion and to those who are part of it. He's showing grace as this one who insulted him now, he says, Surely, you will be with me this day in paradise. And the power that is resonating from his voice, even at death. We see the thief, but we see the centurion. Now, centurions were real soldiers. And what do I mean by that? They had to earn their position. Often Roman officers, they got to be Roman officers by one of three ways. Either they paid their way into it, their family members had been, been officers, or they were educated. You didn't become an officer because you were a good battle soldier. That was reserved for the elite. The highest ranking that a battle soldier would usually ascertain would be that of centurion and maybe senior centurion. So this guy, this centurion, if you're in the military, his MOS, his job is to crucify people, to make examples of people who start insurrections. So that's what he's done Thousands and thousands of times. He has led the crucifixion, so to speak. He has supervised it. And he's seen a thousand men die before. This is old hat. He's hardened. He's seen thousands and thousands of people die. But he's never witnessed anyone like this. And he's heard the claims. He's heard the rumors. He's heard the stories that this is the Son of God. This is the Messiah. And as a soldier, his allegiance was to Rome. And matter of fact, do you know what they called Augustus? We, we looked at a coin a few weeks ago. 
son of God. The soldiers would sometimes give that proclamation. That's who he had called the son of God. But now this hardened, battle-tested soldier who had literally seen thousands of people die, who had heard the forgiveness uttered from Jesus' voice, who had witnessed the whole earth going dark, who had stood there as the earth quaked. This hardened soldier says, as Jesus dies, as he hears his last word, truly, this must be the Son of God. And I believe that was salvation. Did he understand everything? Absolutely not. No, no more than the thief on the cross did. But he knew that this was someone divine. And he believed. He believed his claim. He accepted his forgiveness that was offered. Amazing. We see that cry of forgiveness, cry of grace, a cry of power. We see too the pilot and the Jewish leaders who make mockery. But we see those who are there, who are near the death, who watch the death, who experience the death. And they know something is divine about him and they make that proclamation. The question becomes for us today, which Jesus are you choosing today? The Jesus that gets you what you want? The Jesus that says what you want? Or Jesus the Christ who says, I want you to give me your life. I want you to transfer your trust to what I have done for you on the cross and believe in me. And invite me to save you. Which Jesus are you going to choose today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the picture of the centurion who had no reason to believe, who held a sword in his hand, who had metal over his chest, a helmet, authority, position, who was hardened to death, hardened to the screams and the cries of those who were dying, but yet somehow recognized in Christ that He was God. Lord, I pray today that we would hear Your voice. That we would really look carefully. That we would really listen to the forgiveness that You're offering. To the grace that You're dispensing. And to the salvation that You are granting for all who will see that You have died. That You have conquered sin and death. But that You didn't stay there. You rose from the grave three days later. And that if we will believe and transfer our trust to what You have done on the cross, and commit our lives to you that you will save us. If we'll recognize we can't do it, we're not good enough, we can't earn it. It's only by what you have done we can experience the salvation that you have offered. Lord, for those who don't know you, I pray that they would make that decision today. That they would quit trusting their works or their thoughts or their deeds or their intellect. And see the God of the universe who suffers on a cross because he loves us. Because he was willing to pay the price of our sin. He was willing to live the perfect life that we didn't live and die the sinful death because we couldn't die it. And take and absorb our sins and take our place upon the cross for all who would believe. We thank you, Jesus.
And I pray, Father, that you would draw those who need to put their faith and trust in you this day, who need to confess you as the Son of God today. In your name we pray, dear Jesus. Amen.